but it's only days. So I'll meet you at the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side. I dread it's sunny days. So I'll meet you at the cemetery gates. Keats and Yates are on your side. Wild, wild is on mine. So we go inside and we gravely read the stones. All those people, all those lives, where are they now? But with the love and hate and passions just like mine, they were born and then they lived and then they died. Seems so unfair. I want to cry. You sir, throws the sundown. Salutation to the dawn And you claim these words as your own But I've read well and I've heard them said A hundred times, maybe less, maybe more If you must write pros and points The words you use should be around Don't plagiarize or take on Some dizzy whore, 1804 I dread it's sunny days, so let's go Where we're happy and I meet you at the cemetery gates Oh, Keats and Yates are on your side I dread it's sunny days, so let's go Where we're wanted and I meet you at the cemetery gates Keats and Yates are on your side But you lose, cause we're the love of wild is on the mind And that's The Smiths with a track titled Cemetery Gates from the album The Queen is Dead. I'm David Eastall. This is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. Always playing the finest in indie pop, and every week I like a special guest. This week it is going to be the turn of Andrew Golding from the Warpangs, because I spoke to him a few weeks ago to find out about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy sort of stuff. So I've got that interview for you, which I'll probably break up into three or four easy-to-digest little segments. But to get the show on the road, I think we should play your favourite and mine. This is... Anti-minus touch. Give it fresh. 
Sharp Pan Sounds, that is the Wolfhounds with a track titled Anti-Minus Touch. Hello, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. I could do the admin. Yes, if you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show. It's there. Just say hello and keep it nice and positive and groovy. Otherwise, don't bother. See your therapist. That's what we say. And if you want to hear any of the archive of the show, I have put them all up there on various platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, Podbean and also Mixcloud. And I have got a lot because I've been sort of going through the world of indie pop. So if you like indie pop, fill your boots. If you don't, then you don't know what you're missing. Anyway, this week's special guest is Andrew Golden, member of the Wolfhounds, who are still going, but... And this is very exciting news. He has a new album that's just come out on the record label A Turntable Friend. And the album is titled Dragon Weldon, which is an anagram for Andrew Golden. It all makes sense. We're living in a holistic love fest. So I've got that interview that I'm going to break up into three or four easy to digest little segments for your excitement. But before any of that interesting and quality chat, I think we should play another track by The Wolfhounds. Don't worry, I'll play something else from the, um, or play something from the new album. But I'm just living in the past, as they say. My therapist, my therapist probably keeps saying, "Get out of the past, David. You can let go of it." But can you? That's what I say. Anyway, this is me babbling, and this is going to be another lazy hay on a lazy day, I think.
the corpse deflates to the ground Buzzards circle round A drunk man dribbles and the dust it settles On another hazy day On the lazy day Skull is from an outcrop Blazing white fleece to crack in the top Its teeth still smoke black Since the flesh slacked on another hazy day On the lazy branch From a cactus, rotten and brown The branch collapses, the bird has flown The drunk lies down, had tilted over eyes His wounds licked by flies His wounds licked by flies On another hazy day Desert was planned today. Sands are blown away. Boulders crept all the way. The wood rotten grey. The desert was planned today. On another hazy day. Indeed, atmospheric stuff. That is the Wolfhounds in the track titled Another Lazy Day on the Lazy A. Hello, David Eastall here, C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. And this is um, a Wolfhound special because I spoke to Andrew Goldin. And this is the first part of the interview. I know the phones are being going mad. Um, this is where I began by asking him about those early years and how it all began, which I always think is a fantastic opening line. Actually, we've been babbling for five minutes about life, love and poetry, but... Then I suddenly thought, let's get the interview going. So let's talk about when he joined the band. And this was Andrew's answer. Andrew, take it away. I think 83 was the first time I saw the Wolfhounds and joined late 83 or early 84. Um, and then we, we, so we played a lot of gigs in the, um, the what was called the garage scene at that time. So there was a, a guy called Mike Spencer who used to put on a lot of bands like the Prisoners and the Milkshakes and... Uh, those kind of bands. We used to play a lot at the um, Hammersmith Clarendon, playing with those kinds of bands, because they were quite excited to go and watch. We sort of fitted with them as well. And then a lot of bands came over from various parts of the world. Uh, people like the Moodists used, used to come over, and we used to play with a lot of those those guys as well. Um, and 
and and then basically that that garage thing sort of um turned into the indie scene. A lot of the bands came out of that as well. So people like the mighty Lemon Drops they used to play down at the Palace of Clarendon as well, and um we sort of you know and then all those bands sort of got together and then we released our first single eighty five as you said the, the EP Cut the Cake which had a, another Hazy Day and a Lazy Day on it and um, Hello Juice so that was that was quite exciting I think I was nineteen at the time so that was quite good <laughs> yes. And that was, and obviously during that period, this is leading up to the great NME cassette, the C eighty six cassette. Uh, did you yep. feel sort of part of a, any sort of scene? Because there was, you know, looking at it now and being a fan at that time, there just seemed to be, you know, wave upon wave of kind of indie bands making interesting sounds. And not everyone sounded the same, but there was a definite, definite vibe, you know, coming out from that that world. But- yeah, well, we, we were quite lucky because we were on the Pink label and the Pink label had that Petrol Emotion and the June Brides, who were sort of fairly big uh, indie bands at that time. The June Brides were on the front page of the NME and uh, obviously that Petrol Emotion came from the undertone. So uh, there was a, uh, they, they were obviously um, already sort of a lot more well-known than we were when we came along. So we, we played with them quite a bit, which is quite good, and they introduced us into their audience as well. So that's really how... Um, we sort of got on that that indie thing, uh, and then uh, obviously the Pink Label also signed McCarthy as well. So uh, we used to play a lot with McCarthy. Um, they were sort of neighbours of mine. I, I lived quite near to Tim Gain in Barking, uh, so we used to sort of hang out a bit as well. So, uh, but the NME thing was um, no. It was uh, uh, <laughs> Paul Sutton from the Pink Label said that uh, NME are putting out this cassette. Do you want to put a track on it? And at that at that point, we were sort of going between. Sort of the old style of music, if you like, the garage kind of stuff, to this new kind of indie stuff that we were starting to write. And we really didn't have that many songs spare. <laughs> so uh, we picked Feeling So Strange Again, which was like an old, an old Wolfhound song, if you like, um, recorded it and put it out and, and didn't really think that the cassette would do anything other than, you know, be sold in the NME for a couple of weeks and people would forget about it. <laughs> Little did we know we'd still be talking about it in 2019. So uh, with hindsight, we should, probably should have put a stronger song on it, but there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, it is kind of, you know, I, I've done an interview with Neil Taylor, who, who was one of the people who put it together, and he did the book last year, didn't he, about the, yeah. the enemy, um, or the, that whole scene. And I, I suppose actually nobody, because the enemy back in those days were always bringing out those cassettes, because I seem to sort of religiously buy, even if I wasn't that interested with some of them. And then there was also those seven-inch singles that came out as well. So, But the, the C86 one was, the, the, was their most successful one, and 30 years later... They put out the triple CD box set with Cherry Red Records and then have gone on to do C80, 87, 88 and 89. So obviously, you know, it was definitely something that um, I, don't, I suppose nobody would have realised you know, it was going to be anything more than just sort of a moment. But, but they, you say you say that, but I, I, I was familiar with C eighty one because uh, one of my friends had that in obviously nineteen eighty one, and C eighty six was the sort of the next follow up to that, and C eighty one was just amazing because it had like you know, people like the Raincoats on it and Furious Pig and and Lynx and like, a, a real strange mixture of music, but. It hadn't even occurred to me that C81 and C86 were in any way related. So, uh, if I if I'd have thought about it at the time, maybe I, I might I should have said something, but it, it just didn't didn't click. You know. Indeed, that is the first part of my interview with the one and the only Andrew Goldin. 
a member of the Wolfhounds and also a new solo album that has just come out on a turntable friend. It's titled Dragon Weldon. And this is going to be a track taken from it, which also features a lot of members of the Golden family, including Alice, James and the artwork is done by his wife, Helen. So there, it's like Ask the Family. This is going to be titled These Dangerous Times. go more exciting sounds and new ones at that these dangerous times and that's from andrew golden and his new album titled dragon welding from the label a turntable friend that has just come out so go and check it out buy it it will change your life anyway this is going to be the second part of my interview with andrew where we were talking about the narrative of the wolfhounds yes i know i'm still back in the 80s aren't i and this was andrew's reply andrew tell us all about it the, the, the the first single then we uh 
I, I remember I was driving down the road with my, my dad was driving me to back from a rehearsal and John Peel played um, Cut the Cake, I think it was. And that, that was really exciting. You know, first time I've ever heard uh, myself on the radio. And, I, I, and I st- I still, it still makes me laugh even to this day. I still I love hearing stuff that I've been uh, part of on the radio. It's, it's really exciting still. Uh, but yeah, and then uh, we released the, the Anti-Midas Touch um, single about the same time that we had the first John Peel session. Uh, so, uh, and that was all really exciting as well. Um, and then over, over the next couple of years, we released a couple more singles, obviously went in to do the album, um, which was at a time, again, we were sort of changing our writing style again. So we, we sort of used up all the songs that we had on the album. Uh, and then on the back of that, we got picked up by um, another label called Idea. And they wanted us to put out another single, but at that time we just really didn't have any more songs that we thought was strong enough. So that's why we re-recorded Me, which was about the biggest single that we ever had. Um, and then, yeah, basically we got into touring. We started touring a lot around Europe, which was great fun. Um, with McCarthy a lot of the time. So that, that was uh, was an excellent uh, time in my life. Uh, great fun. Uh, and then on the back of that, we got to start losing members. <laughs> we went through a couple of... Um, personnel changes the bass player uh, left and then we got another guy in and then we had just various uh, other guitar- another guitarist came in paul clark the original guitarist who i loved working with they decided that um he wanted to go back to the nine to five life so he left so we got another guitarist in called matt dayton so the second album is really um it was recorded over a period of about 18 months i think it's like various different lineups in various different studios at various different times and processes of the band so it the fact that it does actually hang together as an album is um, quite remarkable because it's three different bands, really. Yes. God, that um, is quite good. Yeah. And the other thing that really trips people up is kind of the admin and publishing and, and ownership of music and that relationship to the record label. So obviously the Pink label were one of the, you know, it's obviously a really sort of influential and cult label, but how did your relationship with that develop? With um, Was it Paul? Yeah, but, but Paul's great. I'm still great friends with Paul. Uh, Paul and Simon down ran the label. Um, uh, they decided to go their separate ways, and Paul carried on with September. So basically, he had us and McCarthy on that label as well, uh, and another couple of bands. I think there was a band called Catapult had a single out on there as well. And then while we were doing um, the Brighton Guilty album, Paul got involved with a guy called Nick Ralph who uh, ran a label called Midnight Music. Uh, Nick was a really nice guy, a lot of time for him. Uh, he had a uh, his own studio in Berry Street in London uh, by um, near the Barbican, which was great. So um, by the time we got to start working with Nick, uh, we got a lot of studio time at very reasonable rates. <laughs> uh, so we could sort of start experimenting a bit more, if you like, in the studio, which is what, what we really enjoyed doing. And I still, enjoy, still do enjoy doing now. So... Um, that all came about from obviously Paul meeting Nick and uh, Nick bought the back catalogue for September. So um, well, that's how we moved forward with that, really. And that's where we ended up for the rest of our, our recording career on Midnight Music. So. Yes, which took you just out of the 80s and limped into the 90s. And that, and is that when the band decided to, in the words of Jim Morrison, call it the end? Uh, yeah, I mean... It, it, the, the, we recorded our best music, I think, in that album. The Blown Away album is the one that I would do. If anybody says to me what, which out which Wolfhounds album should I listen to, I'd, I'd point them in the direction of Blown Away. Um, David written some really great songs uh, for that album, and 
we were just talking about how we were going to record it because we, we weren't really that happy with the way that the other two albums had gone. And we felt they were missing the spontaneity of that first EP, which was recorded live in four of us, five of us just standing in the studio, just playing it live. So we decided to literally go back to recording like that. So we hired in a couple of huge Marshall stacks <laughs> and basically set up in Berry Street and standing around looking at each other and played the whole album live pretty much. Uh, and it, it sounds like it. Obviously, we did some overdubs as well. And then uh, we had um, obviously Mary Hansen uh, was working with us at that time as well. So... Um, it, it, the vocal mix is a lot better with Mary's doing some of the backing vocals as well as Dave and myself. So um, that's a really good record. And then the other one, Attitude, as well, that was um, pretty much uh, we had by that time, I think we thought, we realized we weren't really going to get that much further with the Midnight Music. There was, there was great labels, good bands on there, but you know, it was never going to be a major label. Uh, and I think we needed to record 15 songs to get out of the contract. So we recorded 15 songs, which is why there's 15 songs on the CD. Uh, and then we were going to move on. Uh, we were going to sign to Creation at one point, which is how Moonshake ended up going to Creation, because um, Alan wanted to sign us. But I'd got to the point, and this is going to sound faintly ridiculous now, but I, I was actually 25 and I thought that that was too old to be in a band, so I decided to retire. So <laughs> I sort of, I sort of left. The, I, I told the rest of the band that I didn't want to do it anymore. I wanted to go and get a job, and, um, th- and that's what I did. So, uh, and then that's how the band ended. Indeed, when you're young, 25 seems like a very old age, and you've sort of missed the boat. But anyway, you get used to it when you get to 55. This is David Eastall. That's the second part of my interview with Andrew Golden from the band. And as I've mentioned many times, he has a new solo album out. And as you heard, if you were paying attention, he mentioned the album Blown Away, which came out in 1989 and was his favourite, he said. So I think we should play a track by from that album. This is Tropic of Cancer.
goddamn Brooks Brothers suit, you son of a bitch. Ooh, angsty stuff there. That is the Wolfhounds with a track titled Tropic of Cancer that came from the album Blown Away, and that was on Midnight Music. I hope you're paying attention. I'm throwing facts at you. Anyway, this is going to be the third part of my interview with Andrew Golden, where we were still talking about those early or those 80s years and um, how you sort of um, sort of kept it all together. And this was Andrew's response. Andrew, tell us how it all happened. Well, the, the, rest, the rest of the band were sort of doing the enterprise allowance scheme and they were getting the rent paid and all that. But I was still living with my mum, really, uh, because I, I, I used to work as well. So I was a builder's labourer. I'd, I'd do anything to get some money. And uh, I sort of got to the point where I sort of, I, I had to make a choice in my mind whether I wanted to go and try and do something else or, or stick with the music and um, whether I made the right decision or not, who knows, but I'm still here doing both. So uh, Yes. Well, it's I'm, interesting I'm because the, the one thing that I noticed with the 80s was that being unemployed was the really kind of big thing for the, the music industry, especially the indie scene, because actually that, that having that having that ability to have your sort of a certain amount of money rent paid and the council tax done as well and um, was kind of essential. And then you had the sort of enterprise allowance scheme, which was even better because it kind of gave people a, a whole year to, you know, say that you're going to be a musician or a writer. And, and again, the, the authorities would sort of basically be happy with that kind of narrative. So so I realised, you know, that, that that's kind of important to be able to focus on one's art. You, it's difficult to try and do two things at once and and give something the proper time just to make it sort of work. So unemployment was was a kind of fantastic factor for our creative industries during that period, especially with indie pop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. But I just don't think it's just not the same anymore. Saying that, I mean, a lot a lot of the, the kids now uh, they, they they can go to school and basically learn all the things that we used to bunk off school to go and do. So <laughs> they can do A levels in music technology, and they can some of my, my my old school that I went to, my son and daughter went there as well, and the facilities in there were absolutely amazing. The first time I went round there, which I had not been in the building for 25 years or whatever, you know, I, was just, I just looked at it and said, okay, where do I sign up? I want to come back to school. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, I mean, the other thing that I sort of realised, which was so important during that time, and we always mention him, is John Peel, because he acted as the great gatekeeper, you know, it was like if you wanted anything that wasn't in the charts but was kind of interesting in the alternative indie world, you know, he would play it and that gave people that you know the exposure to such a bigger audience around the country because because what i've noticed now with bands is that it's very localized so that you know a band might be able to get on radio in norwich or whatever it's called but that the only people going to listen to it are the members of the band and their family but no you know so they might get a gig in norwich themselves or in ipswich wherever it's based that kind of radio but but somebody in leeds or in manchester isn't going to listen to Radio Norwich and then go, oh, we must book that band. So John Peel gave people that ability to suddenly get booked around the country. And there was all these kind of indie club nights and bit small little venues which had, had sort of organically grown. So that that created, a, you know, quite a fertile and, um, yes, expansive scene, really. Yeah, totally, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, the world has changed, it's moved on. I mean, pre-internet, it's, it's very difficult to, Im- to to imagine it now, isn't it? Because, you know, we had... We had, we had three or four tv channels and then one national radio station and, and that was it so if you got played on john peel and you're from london like we were then people from scotland would write to you because you know it was, <laughs> there was nothing else really uh, other than late night radio one that was playing the kind of music that 
those people wanted to listen to. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, it, 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 we used to go out and buy a lot of records on the back of reading reviews, having never heard them beforehand. I mean, I mean, can you imagine anybody doing that now without going onto Spotify or YouTube or whatever, and at least listening to some things so they get an idea of what it is they're buying? It's, uh, yes. it's just com- completely changed. Them. Yes, uh, yes. The, I relied on the NME from and mixed results, really, because I do remember thinking, this, this is single of the week. It must be fantastic. And then tracking it down, going, oh, my God. Yeah, well, once you start meeting music journalists, you realise that they're not all gods. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you suddenly think, actually, if you like something, I'll really hate it. So that's yep. um, that's, quite, that's quite handy. And your idea of good taste is pretty mm, interesting. But look, so then did you give up? Was that it with you or your, you know, your musical journey during it, that it, period? It, 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 it was sort of interesting. I sort of, I sort of, I, I sort of decided that I needed to get a job. But at the same time, I was, I was actually working with um, doing some stuff with um, Tim Gain and Letitia Sadier. And I sort of, I was in the very early version of Stereo Lab, and we recorded a demo in my bedroom. And uh, it was with me. It was me, Tim, Letitia, and Gary out of McCarthy was playing drums. And literally, while they were in my bedroom mixing it i got a phone call and got offered a job so it was like yeah people say it's a turning point in your life i had stereo lab in my bedroom and i had a job offer on the phone so and uh i i i just couldn't turn it down so i I took the job and uh, to this day i'll never know whether it was the right decision but (laughs) (laughs) so so uh, while i was um uh, working initially then i I didn't really play at all i sort i took sort of five years out of not writing um, or recording anything even at home and uh and then i got i got to about 30 and uh i was i was i was, I was down at a pub one day with my brothers and my good friend paul uh and we were talking about the old the good old days uh and, and why weren't we uh, how we used to love being in a band and then we sort of said well, why don't we do it again rather than talking about it down the pub let's come around my house and write some songs so uh yeah so yeah so i gently started doing it again and then um that's what i've been doing ever since really yes so then but that wasn't the wolf hands reforming in no not at all no no so i, I played in a couple of bands yes uh, i have i've got about 15 or 20 albums of unreleased stuff <laughs> sitting <laughs> under my bed and probably will stay there forever yeah and then about it was about 2000 and then obviously dave um it was interesting because I, I was working in, and then and then I've, I've been listening to like um, John Peel or um, Janice Long or whoever was on in that early evening slot, and you know, I'd, you know I'd hear all the bands that I sort of had been playing with. They'd gone on to greater things. So obviously, you know, people like Primal Scream went on to do great things, and you know, Moonshake and Stereo Lab and all of those bands. And it, and I, it wasn't frustrating for me. I was really pleased. I could, I could hear that these people were still carrying on doing it, and it, and it was really, you know, I was I was really happy for everyone. Have um, carried on with their careers, but, um, and that's the way it stayed, really. And I was just you know, quietly in the background, just uh, playing with various people, uh, just doing a few things. I, I was in a band called Crawl in '94, '95. We did actually sign to Creation and released one single, and then we recorded an album. But sadly, that never saw the light of day. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I was still doing things quietly in the background, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do as a career anymore. I could see that there was. Um, Unless you were going to commit to it 100%, and you had the the luck to um, be in a band that got picked up uh, because you looked right as well as sounded right, because it's also a lot to do with image, obviously, as we know. Um, 
but I was, I was quite happy. But then uh, about 2005, I got back in got back in touch with Dave, and I sort of said, you know, it's hey, it's, it's 20 years since Cut the Cake was released. Maybe we should just just do something. And Dave said, yeah. And so we got as many members as we could uh, back together. Frankie, our drummer, had uh, since emigrated to Dubai, so that was a bit difficult. Um, Dave uh, was always an excellent guitarist and played a lot of guitar. Of, a lot of guitar on the records anyway um, so there's always there's always two guitarists plus dave in the band playing guitar on all the records anyway so that wasn't really a, a great leap for dave to play guitar and sing at the same time and then we got um dave oliver our, our second bass player came in and then uh, pete who uh, was a fan of one of the other bands that i was in and he he lived out in essex and he was a drummer and in all the songs so uh, i literally emailed him and said do you fancy doing this and the clincher was that he actually had a van as well, so he could carry the drums and all the kit around as well. So he, <laughs> he joined the band by default. And um, so, yeah, so that's, that's why we got back together in, in 2005, just to do a one-off thing. And then from there, we did a couple of other one-off things over the next uh, five years, really. And that is the third part of my interview with Andrew Goldin, talking about life, love, poetry and the narrative of the band. But I think we'll pause it there because you might just start hyper hyperventilating with too much excitement and need a puff of ventilin. So I think we're going to play another track, then more chat. This is going to be the Wolfhands. This is classic indie. This is the Rent Act. Doctor, doctor, give me a sleeping potion For I cannot close my eyes Father, father, cover me with devotion For I can't tell lies
tote tapping stuff. That is the Rent Act and that's the Wolf Hines. And this is the next part of my interview with Andrew Golden from the band and also solo artists as well. Check it out. Um, where we bring the narrative up almost the, to the current day and to talk about the uh, album that came out a couple of years ago. This is Andrew's reply. Andrew, take it away. It was, it, no, it's great fun playing the old songs, but we... we, we... We've we got a repertoire, if you like, let me put it that way. So we've, we've been playing the same set for a while at these you know, uh, reunion gigs, if you like. And then uh, I just said to Dave, Look, why, don't, why don't we um, just you know, try and release some new stuff? Because you know, most of the enjoyment I get out of being in anything, any band is the creative side of it. And obviously Dave obviously never stopped writing songs as well. So um, there were a few songs left over from like the very, very early days of the Wolfhounds that we never actually got around to recording properly, um, which was Skullface, 6,000 Acres, and Rats on a Raft, which had been released on a flexi-disc in a fanzine, the legend fanzine back in 85, I think. Um, so we said, oh, why, don't, why don't we just like, you know, try and knock those into shape and then go into the studio and see what it sounds like. Um, so we did uh, with an, an engineer and producer, and remarkably... It came out sounding like the Wolfhounds, which is <laughs> uh, obviously a bit of a strange thing to say, but it was like, yeah, okay, so there was something still there that maybe that was worth pursuing. So uh, we released that uh, EP on a little label out in Germany, which was really good. Uh, and then we, we started writing and recording. So um, everything we do is self-funded. Any money that we do make out of the band goes straight back into um, the cost for recording. So uh, it, it sort of it's self-perpetuating so as long as that continues and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll carry on doing it and as long as we enjoy it which we still very much are enjoying it at the moment then uh we'll carry on doing it so yes but you've also now got gone so you've, you've also got the silo project uh yeah i mean i've always written songs on my own and uh as I say, I, you know, I, I literally have 15 albums and stuff, which will never see the light of day unless somebody really wants to hear it. Uh, and I've, I've written a couple of songs on the last two Wolfhounds albums as well. I sing on those as well. And I'm singing Dave Wright together. Sometimes I'll, I'll get some music together and he'll put some lyrics over the top or whatever. Uh, but when we did the last one, the Untied Kingdom album, I was working on a lot of stuff in the background, some of which ended up on the album. And then once we, we got the final track listing for the album, which was complete, uh, there was a number of these ideas that I just continued to work on. Now, what normally happens is that you know, once we get to the end of an album, we'll, when we start writing for the new one, we'll come up with a whole new bunch of songs and anything that you've been working on previously gets forgotten about. But the, I was actually quite proud of these songs and they actually started to sound a bit like a, a, a whole. Uh, so rather than just uh, put them under the bed with the rest of the stuff, I sort of carried on doing it. Um, I, I finished them off. I got uh, Bullfans producer Ant Chapman to master them for me, and lo and behold, I had an album. So, uh, and it, it it sort of stayed. It it, it did not a lot happened to it for a, well over a year. It was originally going to come out uh, on uh, Oddbox, which was the last Wolfhounds label, but that sort of went into a bit of a hiatus. Uh, and then when we released the John Peel Session album last year, I just uh, contacted the guy who runs that label, a guy called Ulrich, uh, and asked him if he was interested. And when he heard it, he said, yes, he was. So there you go. It, 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 it's, there's no great master plan behind it. It's almost an accidental album. Yes. My God. Thanks. Thank God for all these kind of small little indie labels that seem to be scattered around. Because there's one in America, which 
God, I can't remember the name of it, but somebody seems to be sort of going back and finding these really obscure bands who didn't even get an album, but a few flexi discs, and then a couple of people in America, um, in Germany as well, aren't they? With with some more record labels, yeah, which is good, which is good. So, how does that feel recording <laughs> recording this album and not giving it as a as a, a Wolfhounds album, but keeping it as your own album? Uh, well, it, but I, I I write and record a lot of. Uh, most of my stuff on uh, my iPhone and my iPad. So it's just a constant churn of ideas that I'm working on sort of all the time rather than sitting on the train doing crossword puzzles or reading. I just tend to play about with tracks in GarageBand on my phone. So, uh, and when they get to a point when they sound like they're almost finished, then I'll I'll suck them into the Mac and then finish them off. So, uh, and, and that's, there's been a few of the tracks on the last two Wolfhounds albums that have been through the exact same process. So um, it, there's no different in the way I write and record uh, from that. Obviously there are other songs which you just write an acoustic guitar playing to the band and they become Wolfhound songs. And so it's, that's, the, that's the difference really. So there's, there's two ways of writing. One is uh, using, using a lot of technology and the other one is using no technology whatsoever. So, um, so yeah, and, and, and that's the way I like to write. So um, it, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't feel any different. Um, to me in the process is just that I guess the difference is I, I, I sing on all of these were the ones with vocals on them. So Yes. And it's interesting yeah. because, um, cause it was, you, you mentioned it was, um, mastered by, by Ant Chapman, Chapman who yeah. was, was behind Collapse Long, who had a huge hit in the early nineties. Yeah. He still very much is part of Collapse Long. So, um, uh, and Ant's a great guy. He's a very clever person and, uh, he's almost become like the, uh, the current fifth member of the Wolfhounds, if you like, his, his input is vital to the overall sound of what we come out with. So uh, when I needed someone to just finish it off me, Ant was the obvious choice. So I wouldn't really have gone to anyone else. Yes. And so where does it leave the Wolfhounds? Because you said that the, the band are still very much going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we've, we've got we've got seven songs recorded for the next album. We've got three more. We're going to finish off uh, beginning of April. And then we'll have the next album ready to start, hopefully start ready to start mixing. So uh, depending on how quick that goes, it's probably going to be out either later this year or early 2020, I would imagine. Um, I'm, I'm very excited about it. There's some really great new songs on there. Um, I think it's equally as, the, the songs are equally as good as the ones on the last album and possibly even better. So, But let's, let's see. <laughs> it might all go wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, do you find it kind of quite... In, oh, I was going to say endearing. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but you know, because I keep seeing you know a lot of those bands from the '80s, you know, key people have sort of continued music. Though some, quite a lot, have just sort of decided to give it up, get a job, sort it out, and then have come back to play music from sort of I don't know, the brilliant corners to Phil Wilson. Though I don't think he's doing so much now, but he brought an album out recently, and Pete Astor, who was obviously in the weather. weather where the profits and the, the loft. So, you know, it's interesting that that sort of musical bug seems to still get people. And um, and even if someone's given it up for a decade or two, it sort of eventually gets people back in and, and wanting to record again. So I just wondered if you look around going, oh, right, they're back in the scene. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's, uh, we, we tend to play a lot with uh, people that are on, on the cusp of... Uh, 
not getting anywhere still after all these years, <laughs> which, which is like, which is great because obviously we, we, we sort of we sh- we pretty much share the same audiences because you know there's only a finite number of people, a finite number of people who want to go out and see bands who are in their fifties. So, <laughs> so, uh, but but I, I, as I said, I, I, I I've never stopped writing and recording and playing songs and I never will and if nobody ever hears those songs that's fine by me I just enjoy the process and uh, my, my, bro- my, my brother Richard plays in the band as well my other brother's a musician uh, both my children they, they sing on the new uh, the Dragon Welding album um, so it's, it's pretty much a family thing so if, if even if we didn't uh, play to anybody other than just um, ourselves in my kitchen like we do every Christmas then you know it's not something I'm ever going to stop yeah uh, the, the fact that a lot of the bands a lot of bands are still getting back together and carrying on I, it's great I mean why not I mean there's you know there's, there's there's so much music available now and I think that's maybe what is driving people to sort of think well you know no one's waiting for the new album by I don't know whoever band X but if they want to do it and I think they can get some enjoyment out of it then that's all, all well and good by me. I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. And are you, I mean, one thing that I've been quite relieved about is people like Cherry Red Records and the Turntable Friend and also Fire Station Records as well from Germany who have sort of been putting these compilations out or at least collecting stuff and then sort of from various different sort of sources, whether it was kind of like um, the files or sort of cassettes or recordings. So it's interesting that the music is still sort of going and it must be kind of getting a new audience here and there because because obviously you know it still sells a lot of you know copies you know when you know they bought out the c86 and then right through to c89 so so there must be a new audience of people curious what happened 30 years ago in the indie pop scene so do you find you get young people the young people you know coming up or sorry you know stalking you on social media going oh i love the wolf hands or getting you know in that in that way think my god you could be a my grandchild no, I, 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 can't, I must say I've never, I've never noticed that. Uh, there's a, a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life that obviously still, still listen to the band, which is great. Um, there, I, there are quite a lot of um, musicians in various guises as well who, who have um, I, we, we've got to know and meet via the Wolfhounds um, various websites, or whatever, which is great because I mean, obviously, you know, you can you're directly in touch with people who are still interested in doing a similar thing. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, obviously we don't all sound the same, but you know, I'm still interested in putting gigs on, I'm still interested in releasing records by bands that uh, make the kind of music that not that many people want to listen to. <laughs> the, the, the best thing about it that I I think is a definite positive is that because we, we're, we're totally self-funded, we, we literally you know, don't have to listen to anybody else's opinion as to what we release. But however, yes. within within the band, there's a fairly high quality control threshold, so you know we wouldn't feel we'd have to release something if it wasn't very good. We'd, we'd bin it and start again. So uh, yeah, it's it, there's there's no pressure from that perspective. But then again, there's a lot of we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make sure that the next one is as good as if uh, or if not better than the last one. So, but the, but that's a very positive thing. So, and that is going to be the last part of my interview with Andrew. Golden, talking about the Wolfhounds and also his new solo album that has just come out titled Dragon Welding. This is out on a turntable friend records released on the 15th of March 2019 and sounds damn fine. Anyway, 
that is the end of the show. Thank you ever so much for listening. This has been David Eastall, and this is going to be a Woolpans track taken from a John Peel session titled Happy Shopper. Have a great week.
Thanks. 